Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Today, as they grab their seats, I want you guys to grab your Bibles because we are starting a brand new series on 1 Corinthians. And we're going to go through the whole book of 1 Corinthians. And it's going to take us a while, but there's a lot of interesting stuff here in this book that as we study through it, I believe God's going to breathe through it. And we're going to see a lot of things happen in our lives because of it. So as you grab your Bibles or your phones, you can check into Facebook, you can write some notes, you can uh, get your Bible app, whatever. I'm going to pray. Lord, Holy Spirit, we, we sang that song. We said, you are welcome here. And we declare that again. We invite you in this space. We know that you are already here, but Lord, we just invite you. We, we give you a formal invitation and we say that we are open and that you are welcome here to do the work in our hearts. We take down barriers. Lord, I pray that the words that I speak are not just human words, but they're your word and you breathe through them today. Lord, we, we know that we don't just need activity, church activity, but what we need is a visitation from you, a, a powerful encounter with you. Lord, we need uh, you to be in this moment uh, and to be in these words. And so we don't just lean on human words, but we lean on your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, as we walk through this book of 1 Corinthians, it's important for us to uh, understand why it's written. Uh, and as best that they can tell, it was written probably, or it, it starts off in 50 AD, where Paul goes into the city of Corinth, and, and eventually what happens is they plant a church in this city. And so uh, this was, we'll learn a little bit more about this city and what it, it was all about, but he plants a church in the fall of AD 50, and about five years later, about five and a half or five years later, in, in the springtime, he's over in a city called Ephesus, and he gets word, he's sitting in a house of, his fr of some friends friends of his, and he gets word that the church that he planted isn't doing so well. In fact, they're kind of starting to uh, mess up quite a bit. They've got a lot of problems going on. They've got divisions going on. They've got bad things that are happening. And so Paul is like a spiritual parent. And, and those of you guys who have kids, uh, anytime you hear maybe of where your kid strays or makes a poor decision, that's what Paul was like. He was like a spiritual dad to these people. And he gets this news and he's kind of brokenhearted about it. And he has to really bring some correction, some direction, and some encouragement to this church. And so he sits down and he writes this letter to the church in Corinth. And uh, the purpose is to really correct a lot of errors they have. They, they had a lot of uh, things going on a mess they were making by their immaturity, by their lifestyle, by their doctrinal error, and by the way they were interacting with one another. And so he brings a lot of correction here in this letter. And so let's start off, and we're going to go through the whole, uh, we're going to read the whole chapter. It's the only place we're going to be all day. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to the sanctified in, G in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So there's a key word that he uses right off the bat, and it's this word sanctification or sanctified. That word sanctified, it, it really means holy. It means set apart for a special purpose or a special occasion. And that's what he's telling them. He's saying, listen, when you came, when, when you, this church was birthed, God set you apart for a special purpose. He wanted you to be set apart from the culture that you were in. He had a special purpose, a special occasion. You are set apart. You are sanctified. How, how many of you guys have ever had some special occasions and celebrated a special occasion in your life, a birthday or Christmas. And that's, that's what this word really means. It's a set apart time. Well, you guys know we were on vacation the last couple of weeks and we were traveling down to Florida, but we stopped the first night in Nashville, Tennessee. And so we wanted to go to Nashville downtown, just experience what there was and a little bit of research. I always research where the best food is and what the food item is of the city. And so I, I didn't know, but I did, did the search and, and they talked about this hot chicken sandwich. Has anybody heard of the hot chicken sandwich? No, you, you got to try it. All right, my kids, this is great. So, uh, yes. So the hot chicken sandwich. So we're down there and we're saying, all right, where's the hot chicken sandwich at? And there's this restaurant. We go up to it. We're looking at the prices on the menu. And I'm like, Lord, what are the interest rates right now? Um, because when I have, I mean, I've got five kids. And when we go out to eat, it's an investment, okay? We have to be strategic when we go out to eat. And especially in a place like that. But it's the hot chicken sandwich for crying out loud. And so we're going to eat the hot chicken sandwich. Why? Because it is a special occasion. I don't know when I will ever be in Nashville downtown with my whole family. Maybe never again. And so we're going to spend the money. We're going to take the time. We're going to do it because it's a special occasion. And if you don't know what the hot chicken sandwich is, uh, and I'm like, Chris, I'm talking about food now. But if you don't know what it is, it's like a buffalo wing, like a boneless buffalo wing, only it's like a whole like chicken buffalo. Like it's like the whole thing, a piece of chicken, like made like a buffalo wing and then sandwiched between two pieces of Texas toast. And it's really, really spicy. And if you, I love spicy things, but if it's not spicy enough, then they've got a spicy sauce that you can put all over it. And I did. And so here we are on this special occasion. I'm eating the, the hot chicken sandwich, which I made even hotter. And I'll just, this sounds gross, but I, I'm just going to fully take it in. I'm eating this and sweat is pouring down my face. It's so bad. It's roll. It sounds gross. It's, it's just my shirt is getting soaked because I'm sweating so bad. But it's the hot chicken sandwich and I'm going to eat it because it's a special occasion. That's what it means to be set apart. I, I have a lot of different outfits, maybe not as many as you ladies, um, but I have a lot of different outfits in my, I don't even call them outfits. They're called shirts. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Uh, I have clothing items in this thing I call a closet. And, and I have certain like shirts and different things. But there's one thing that's uh, special in that closet. And it's this certain black suit that I have. And it's reserved for special occasions like a wedding. Or if my wife and I want to go and do something fancy or something, that's a special thing. And it's set apart for that purpose. And so I don't just go into my closet every day and like wonder, am I going to wear this black suit? Because I avoid it like the plague if I can. But I, I, I don't. Because why? It's set aside for a special purpose. And God says that about you and I. He says, I have put you, I've set you apart. I've set you apart like a special occasion. I've set you apart like a special purpose. And so Paul's heart is broken as this church went from being a set-apart church and, and being set apart from the culture to really looking more like they were blending in. And they become a messed-up church. 
And how easy is it for us when God has called us to be set apart from our culture to go in just a few years or maybe even a few weeks after we, we get things going in the right direction in our life to really going from set apart to blending in. But Paul encourages them. He says, you guys are set apart. But listen, just because God has set us apart, we have to, it, set apartness doesn't just automatically happen. You realize this, right? God doesn't just make us sanctified. It's, we have to cooperate with the set-apartness. Because if, if, if it was just automatic, then all of us would be automatically set apart. We would automatically stick out and not, never blend into our culture. But no, we have to cooperate with this set-apartness or we end up blending right into the culture. And so as I was reading this chapter uh, this week and leading up to this week, really three words came to mind as I was reading this that was really the problem in their life that kept pulling them away from set-apartness and drifting them in to blending in. And the same is true for us in our society today. And the three words are this, distractions, divisions, and discourses. And I'll explain what each one of these are. Distractions, divisions, and discourses. Now, to understand the first one, distractions, we have to understand something about the city which the church was planted. This city of Corinth, uh, it was actually destroyed by the Romans in 146 BC. And when it was destroyed, it was just laid a wasteland. But somewhere along the way, around 46 BC, Julius Caesar decided to resurrect it. And he populated it with ex-military guys, ex-Roman soldiers, and other people started to blend in. It was really very a strategic place because it was situated in a place where commerce could happen really easily. And so this thing was set up to be like a boom town overnight. And in fact, it would be just like the 49ers where all of a sudden this thing just exploded overnight as a great place of prosperity. Uh, it was strategic commercial importance, strategic military importance for defense. Uh, and it, it's much like the United States of America. Do you realize that this city is much like what we deal with today? It's strategic as far as commerce. It's very prosperous. Prosperous. It's, it's got a lot of military action or military heritage. This thing was set up to be a boomtown, and it was. It, in fact, it had two theaters. One of the theaters was large enough to hold 18,000 people in it. That's, that's pretty prosperous. In fact, the, the Isthmian Games were kind of like the Olympic Games, only uh, they were there housed in this, this city. And so world-class athletes from all over the world would come and train, and it brought a lot of fame. It brought a lot of money. It was the center of, you know, so sporting events, uh, prosperity, sporting events, military action, famous people who were like philosophers and, and uh, famous, uh, uh, like today in our day, it would be like talk show hosts or, uh, you know, philosophical uh, voices and books and self-help people would all stand and stand in the public square and make their case, and they'd have a big following, and they were priding themselves in their intellectualism. And so it sounds like a little mini picture of the United States. We've got voices on the left. We've got voices on the right. We've got voices in popular talk shows. We've got everybody trying to make their case for what the right way is. And they were a great position for economic growth, and, and it did it almost overnight. It exploded in prosperity. But how, how you guys can see in a situation like this, there'd be plenty of opportunities for distractions. In our, in our society today, there are plenty of opportunities for distractions. 
Because we have all those same competing voices in our life. We have all of those, those, the noise coming in, all the distractions. You see, we're tempted to think that the Bible doesn't really have anything to say to us today because it was dealing with a different culture, a different time, a different people, a different place in the world. But can you guys see how very, very similar this place was to exactly what we deal with today? And that's what was going on. And we're also tempted to think, how many of you guys have ever had this thought before, that things are worse now than they've probably ever been in history? Like, things morally are just going downhill. It's as worse. I mean, it's just bad. Things have never been this bad. The moral depravity is just downhill, and it's downhill, and it's just going to hell in a handbasket. It's never been this bad. We're tempted to think that. But I'm telling you, that's not the case at all. In fact, this city was so filled with sin, so filled with lust, so filled with wrong desires that it'd make things that we see today look like little white lies, that kind of sin, instead of the sin they were dealing with. In fact, uh, let me just prove it to you. Outside the city, there was this big uh, mountain plateau-type volcano thing that on the top, uh, it was 1,800 feet tall, and on the top, it used to house the uh, Temple of Poseidon, but then they switched it out for the goddess Aphrodite, which is the goddess of love. And they had a temple up there on top, and they had a 1,000 female prostitutes in the temple. And when you wanted to worship that goddess in the temple, what you would do is you'd go in and have sex with the temple female prostitutes in the temple as part of worship. And people would come from all over the place. Money would pour in because of that. It was, I can't even describe all of the other things that were going on. Needless to say, it was a place filled with lust and with sin. It was like the Las Vegas of its time, only 10 times worse. What What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth, in other words. And people were known for going there for that purpose. It was, a, it was a messed up city. Lust and material gain were the two voices and vices that constantly plagued the city. Listen, the same is true for us today. Lust and material gain, they all trap us. And so we see amazing similarities. And when you see a society like that, that downhill, let me ask you a question. Do you think God would, would be able to raise up a strong church in the midst of sin like that? Of course. So let me just challenge us today because there are so many people today saying, oh, the United States is going downhill and the church is going down and the church is whatever. Let me ask you the same question. Can God raise up a church in this culture? Of course he can. And God is building a strong church and we're declaring that he's building that the church of the United States, even in the midst of sin, is going to rise and get stronger and get stronger because God is the one who builds the church. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him. That's the key, in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. That's key. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in, in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, in a culture like Corinth, you can see how easy it would be to be distracted. In a culture like the United States of America, it's easy for us to be distracted. It's easy for us to be distracted. How many of you guys get distracted at the slightest things, like squirrel, like I, just instantly? It's easy for us. So I was on vacation, and 
Every morning, I would go, we would stay at the beach, and every morning I'd walk down the hotel. There was a Starbucks in the hotel. So, uh, you know, I, the blessing of the Lord was there because coffee was ready available. And I'd walk down, I'd get a coffee, and I would go out to the beach, and I would walk a couple miles on the beach every morning and then come back, and it'd just be me and God. We're just listening to the waves and talking and sharing coffee. And, well, I don't know if he was having any, but um, he brews. Uh, so, I don't know, sorry about that. Uh, so I'd do that. I'd get out and get coffee. And it was just an awesome time, just me and God and we're praying and, and all that stuff. And so the last day, you know, I'm just trying to soak all this up. It's the last day. I go down. I'm going to do the same thing. I get my coffee. I go and walk on the beach. I'm praying. I'm coming back, just peaceful. Everything's peaceful. And then all of a sudden, this mom and her kids burst out onto the beach, like screaming, yelling. The kids were running around everywhere. And I'm like, no, it can't end like this. You know, it's just going screaming everywhere, running everywhere. And then finally, they release a dog onto the beach. The dog starts running all over the beach. Finally, the dog goes right in front of one of the people who are sitting in the, in the chair with a drink. The, the dog goes and does his business right in front of her on the beach. No, Lord, this can't end this way, you know, I, because I've got this certain, because I, it's so easy for us to be distracted. I was like, no, God, I, I want to remember this, not this, you know, but the same is true for us spiritually. There's distractions all over the place. God wants to have a time with us where we walk with him, where we're being with him. But there are so many things that are constantly trying to get our attention, that are constantly trying to get us to look away from our time with him. It's so easy to be distracted. Paul said something very key in those verses. He said that, he says, basically he's saying this, it's all about Jesus. He says, you have everything you need in Christ. Do you realize that right now, you have everything you need in Christ. Do you know the reason why we get distracted is because somewhere along the way, we stop believing that everything we need is in Christ. Somewhere along the way, we start believing we have to have something else. But Paul repeatedly says, it's all about Jesus, guys. You have everything you need. It's all about Jesus. I, I've got some multiple points today, but really my point is this. It's really this. And if you guys would just say this with me, we we're going to say it's all about Jesus because that's what it is. Right now, we're going to say it. One, two, three. It's all about Jesus. That's what Paul says. Let's do it again. It's all about Jesus. That's what you got to get this morning. It is all about Jesus. That's what Paul reminds him. He said, forget all the distractions in life. Listen, so many of us are facing so many things that are pulling our, our eyes everywhere else. And if Paul were here today, he would simply say, guys, it's all about Jesus. Take your eyes off the distractions and put them back on Jesus because it's all about Jesus. You, you don't have to talk to somebody too long to tell what's important in their life. I mean, if I had a conversation with you that was a little bit in-depth, I could tell what's important. You know what Paul's conversation was like? In fact, in the first nine verses, he mentions Jesus eight times. It's like he couldn't stop talking about Jesus. Because for Paul, it was all about Jesus. But we get distracted. A couple years ago, I stood up here and I told you all that I resigned. And what I meant by that was earlier in that week, I realized that somewhere along the way, it had stopped being all about Jesus for me. And somewhere along the way, I forgot that it's Jesus who builds this church and not Sean. Somewhere along the way, I'd forgotten that and I'd been carrying the weight of building the church instead of making it all about Jesus. And I stood up that day and I resigned. I said, guys, I'm resigning from that because that is not my job. Jesus builds his church. Because somewhere along the way, I, I, 
it stopped being about Jesus and I got distracted. I got distracted. Craig Rochelle says it this way in, in one of his books. He said that he realized one day that he had become a full-time pastor and a part-time Christian. And it's not just pastors who deal with this, guys. And no matter what your job is or what your task is, you can be a, a full-time whatever and a part-time Christian. Because somewhere along the way, it stopped being all about Jesus. It's possible no matter what you do. And let me tell you, sin is not the only distraction. Good things are distractions. Bad things are distractions. Sin can be distraction. Relationship can be. Sin is not the only distraction. But here's my one point. It's all about Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you an application point, okay? If you want to take something away, okay, how do I put this into practice? Here's your application point right now. The, the, the main point is this. It's all about Jesus, and here's your application. Is it all about Jesus? Because we need to walk away from this service today asking that question. That's our application. In my marriage, is it all about Jesus? In my business, is it all about Jesus? In my ministry, is it all about, in my relationship, is it all about Jesus? Because whenever we find ourselves distracted, we always need to go back and realize that in him is everything that I need. And the moment I forget that, that's the moment I'm distracted. It's all about Jesus. The second area that was pulling them away from being set apart into blending in was divisions. He heard about these divisions happening in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? He says, I thank God that I didn't baptize, not, I didn't baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius so that none of you may say that you've been baptized by me. Uh, and he goes on, he says, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He wasn't saying anything bad about baptism. What he was saying is this. It doesn't matter who baptizes you. It's all about Jesus. It doesn't matter. And if you're making it about who I'm close to or who baptized me or who's my spiritual, it's not about that. It's about Jesus. And in an immature church, you can see how that was easy for that to happen. Somebody comes in and, you know, Apollos would come in and Apollos was a great eloquent speaker. He was probably much better speaker than Paul was. And so some people would say, you know what? I like Apollos. I'm on team Apollos over here because he's my guy. I'd rather be baptized by Apollos than Paul. And somebody's over here, no, but Paul, he really knows what he's talking about. So I'm team Paul over here. And no, I'm, I'm on Peter's side because of what he represents. And they begin to have factions in the church. Do you realize that people still do this today? This is not news. People elevate certain leaders in the church, whether they're living or even dead. You know, certain veins of theology and certain uh, leaders in the church or certain TV pastor over here or a certain podcast or a certain book or a certain line of thinking or a certain whatever. And we do this and we're doing the same thing. We're saying, well, I'm team this person or I'm team that person. And there's nothing wrong with being for a, a, a guy or listening to this certain person or listening to that lady or whatever. But when it becomes all about them and they become your source, instead of Jesus, something's off, right? I mean, something's off. And that's what was happening in this, in this uh, town, in this church. 
Let me say it this way. And I'm not just speaking about this church. I'm just speaking about the church overall. The pastor is not the most important person in the church. Jesus is. And the moment we start making about something other than Jesus, we're way off. We're way off. I'll just to be honest with you, okay? I recognize the pattern. So I've been doing this long enough. I've been doing this over a decade now, and I recognize the pattern. People come into church, and, and here's what's happened time and time again. They come up to me, man, Pastor Strong, I love the way you just preach it strong. And you just, man, no fear, and you preach it strong. And I love that, and I love that. And then they'll tell me how bad their other church was and, and how it was not that or whatever. And, and they'll just be, you know, and listen, I'm all for encouragement. I love, I'll take some encouragement. And I do believe God is doing a special thing here. I, I, I believe that God is doing something special. That's why we're here. We, we believe God's doing something special among us. But, but what happens with that is this. That feeling, I've noticed, wears off. <laughs> because that same thing, when I preach something strong, then after a while, if I don't preach it the way you like it, or if I preach something strong that you don't like, all of a sudden, the honeymoon period's over. <laughs> and all of a sudden, what was a strength is now a weakness, you know? And, and because somewhere along the way, we made it about the message or the messenger more than the message. Somewhere along the way, we stopped making it about Jesus. It's not about the pastor, it's about Jesus. As long as we keep the focus on Jesus, you know what? When I say a strong word, as long as your focus is on Jesus, you'll get through it all right. If I mess something up, as long as it's about Jesus, we'll get through it all right. As long as it's about Jesus, listen, it's about Jesus. It's not about, it's not about uh, any of these other things. As long as we keep it about Jesus in the Journey Kids area and Jesus in the early childhood area and Jesus in the outreach area and Jesus in the greeting area, guess what? We don't have to compete with one another, do we? As long as we make it about Jesus in this church and Jesus in that church, we don't have to compete with one another because it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Then you got, so you got the, I'm, I'm for Paul, I'm for this guy, I'm for this leader, I'm for that leader. And then you had the team Jesus people. Did you see that in there? It said, uh, I'm on Jesus' team. Like, I'm, I'm all about Jesus. And what that is to me is people who says, you know what, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. I don't need those leaders because it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. I don't need pastoral accountability. I don't need leaders in my life. I don't need relational accountability even because it's just me and Jesus. And so they said, I, I'm just with Jesus. Listen, leaders, teachers, community are all required by scripture. They just are. They are all required by scripture. It's all about Jesus, but it's never only about Jesus. Did you catch what I said? Because he says we need each other. We need those layers. And let me just, just speak it strong to you. Uh, people who don't contribute to a church, uh, people who uh, stand on the sidelines, people who show up, may even attend church, but it's never about the gathering. It's all about me and Jesus and what I'm getting from this thing. Listen, let me tell you what, what's going on. If they don't want authority over them, they're either one of three things. Either one, hurt and need to be healed. Two, immature and need to grow up. Three, arrogant and need humility. You guys probably wish I stayed on vacation. <laughs> or it works this way. Here's my plan. Here's my business. Here's my thing. And I'm going to put Jesus 
on my, to stamp my plan, my thing, my way, my, my ministry, my family, my marriage, my whatever. And we, instead of coming up under, we say, Jesus, put your stamp on it and let me do what I want to do. Because I'm just team Jesus. Listen, it's not about your team. It's about Jesus. It's not about your kingdom. It's about Jesus. It's not about your cause. It's about Jesus. It's not about your ministry. It's about Jesus. It's not about your marriage. It's about Jesus. It's not about your friendships. It's about Jesus. It's not about your hurt. It's about Jesus. It's not about your pain. It's about Jesus. It's not about whatever. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And the moment we take our eyes off Jesus is the moment we get into division. It's the moment we get into division. Now, let me tell you what Paul's, he's, he's fighting for unity. Let me tell you what unity is, or first, what unity is not. Unity is not, hey, let's accept everything so we can be unified. That's not unity at all. When you have everything, you really have nothing. When you stand for everything, you really stand for nothing. That's not what he's fighting for. And neither is he fighting for a narrow-mindedness that it's only this way and only that. He's basically saying there's some things we got to hang on to. And there's some things we can be open about. There's some things we're going to fight for. And there's some things we're going to say, maybe, I don't know. So the first year of the church, we had no money. We had no, I'm, again, I'm, I'm working full time, starting the church on the side. No money. Somebody comes into the church and offers to pay for us to be on the radio, to have little mini messages on the radio, on this predominantly preaching channel uh, on the radio. And so we're like, wow, this is amazing. We've got no money, no people, and we're going to be on the radio and have a little advertisement and stuff and get some exposure. And so it's safe to say that most of the people listening to the radio, to that channel, were pretty much established Christians, maybe more traditional Christians. And so our phone number was on the, that my phone number was attached to the, the advertisement. And so I started getting phone calls from people who were having questions about the church. And so they, I'd answer the phone and like, hey, we heard your ad on the radio. We heard your, your message on the radio. And then they would start asking questions about the church. Well, how loud's the music? Uh, you know, what, what, what's the style? Is it traditional or contemporary? Uh, are you King James only people? Because it's, you know, it's the only way. I talked everybody out of going to our church that ever called. <laughs> I am not even kidding you. I'd get to the end of the conversation. I'd say, this is not the church for you. Trust me, brother. It's not the church for you. I talked all of them out of coming to our church. Why? Because somewhere along the way, it became less about Jesus and more about secondary issues. Somewhere along the way, it became less about Jesus and more about how loud's the music or what's the color of the carp. It, that's not the way of Christ. That's not the way of Christ. And so, uh, you know, I, I've realized this. There are things I hang on to. But there are also things that I just don't know. And I realize there are good and godly and wise people on both sides of issues that have thought this out way more than I could. And I understand there's difference of opinions on all these different things. And so I give grace and space on some issues. And we all need to give some more grace and space on certain issues. There's some things we hang tight. There's some things it's grace and space. And so if you come up and you ask me, you say, well, Sean, what about end time eschatology and the return of Christ and whether there's a, a rapture or not a rapture or post-tribulation, if there's a millennial reign, if there's, are the four horsemen of the apocalypse literal four horsemen? Or do they, I'll be like this, I have no idea. You know what? I don't, and I'll just say it strong. It doesn't even matter to me. Because here's what I know. Whether it's rapture or no rapture or the four horsemen or whatever, here's the truth. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. I need to live ready. That's it. 
That's my end time theology right there. It's Jesus is coming back. Now, the other things are interesting, and somebody may be right over here, and it's interesting to think about. It's interesting to study, and I have my opinions. But at the end of the day, I've got a pretty open hand there. I know this. Jesus is coming back, and I'm going to live ready. And that, that's where we give grace and space. Instead of being divided, I'm going to just say, you know what? There are certain things that we, do, we can have unity on, even though we don't see it exactly the same. It's all about Jesus. Here's your application point. Is it all about Jesus? Or have divisions crept in and we've made it about something else? Is it all about Jesus? The third thing is discourses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demanded signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. See, Corinth prided themselves on intellectualism. They prided themselves on debate. Visiting teachers would come through town. Visiting philosophers would come through town. They would stand on the public square, and they would try to win people over by their discourse and by their, their speeches, trying to sway people to popular ways of thinking, and they were good at it. They loved to debate. How many of you guys love to debate? I do. It gets me into trouble every time, and so I just leave that alone, but they were good at it, and that's what it was, and so people, the whole city would come out and hear these people, and they would be swayed and influenced by their persuasion. And so this happens today in our society, in this society of marketing and persuasion and political correctness. And we could go down the list of all the different ways and influence uh, that happens in our day today. Uh, it's easy to be swayed by the public line of thought, isn't it? By what culture tells us to think. And what had happened to this church is instead of being set apart, they started to drift into believing the public discourse, into following after certain teachers and certain philosophies, and it had crept into the church. And Paul says, listen, guys, it's all about Jesus. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's all about Jesus. Paul says, I'm not coming to stand on the public square and try to persuade you with my logical line of thinking and my, my marketing skills or my eloquent speech. I'm not coming for that. He said, in fact, the message that I have for you is not going to be popular. In fact, it may not even make sense to you. And so in this age of everything having to be this and that and debated and went over, he says, my message may not even make sense to you. It may seem silly to you. He says, I didn't come to that. He said, you may not even be able to wrap your mind around what I'm saying, but I'm telling you, if you hear it and you believe, it will change your life. And so he says, it, it sounds folly. And the wisdom of the wise, the wisdom of this age, God's come to put under. Listen, God is not against smart people, okay? There's good intelligent people who have good, intelligent questions. And God is not afraid of that. But God will not move, God will not allow you to put him in a box and say, God, answer all of my questions before I follow you. He doesn't do that. 
He, he's okay with you, you having questions. Paul was one of the most highly educated people of his day. He, had, had, he could speak multiple languages. He had been schooled at the Harvard of his day. He, he was one of the smartest guys. He could have debated them and won every time. And, and he says, my message may sound foolish. Because here's the deal, guys. You don't just need knowledge. You need revelation. And Paul says, I've, I'm, I'm not going to bring you knowledge but I want to bring you revelation. You don't just need information. You need an encounter with the Savior. And it may sound like folly. It may sound like like silly to you, the way that God would come and die. That may sound foolish to you, but that's my message. And listen, guys, I wonder if today in, in our culture, if God's message also isn't something we want to hear either, if it seems foolish to us. What do I mean by that? I mean that I think we want God's message to say this. That we, we want it, or we think it should be a message that says something like this. God blesses those who help themselves. We want that to be God's message to us. Or, or God uh, blesses those who work their way up the ladder successfully. Or God blesses those who figure it all out. Or God blesses those who, find, uh, who work really hard and, and find a place of, of of fame. You know, in, in our hearts, somewhere that's where we're at. Instead, God says that he blesses those who mourn, that he blesses those who are poor in spirit, that he blesses those who believe like a little child. And in that way, the message of God to us may sound silly. Believe like a child? We wanted to say something else in our culture. But, but God's message to us may not always be what we want. And so their society was similar to our society. And we can be messed up just like they were in in distractions, divisions, and being swayed by the popular discourse. But how many of you guys know that there is good news for a messed up church? That in the midst of our messes, God brings good news. And so I challenge you with this. Is it all about Jesus or have I been swayed with the popular line of thinking? There's an old song we used to do a long time ago. And it just simply says this. Jesus is the answer. For the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. I'm telling you, in your marriage, Jesus is the answer. Telling you, in your business, Jesus is the answer. In your relationships, Jesus is the answer. I'm telling you, in your trouble, Jesus is the answer. In your pain, Jesus is is the answer. Jesus is the answer. And the moment we make it not about Jesus is the moment we get distracted, we get into division, and we get swayed by wrong thinking. And so to get over these things, to get beyond them, it's going to take a word that maybe not, it, we, we all want to have, but we, it's hard to aspire to and it's hard to actually put into place. And that word is called maturity. We have to grow up if we want to move beyond these things. We just have to grow up beyond these things. You see, here's what was happening for Paul. Things were great in the church of Corinth while Paul was there. But the moment Paul left, what happened? They start, when the cat's away, the mice will play, right? And so they just started doing whatever. How many of you parents understand this with your children? While you're there, things are fine. But if you leave, man, who knows what's going to happen, right? Who knows? I mean, when I was a kid, uh, my parents, man, when they were there, we just would, I mean, we would just line up and we'd just sit straight and all that stuff. But whenever they would leave, all five of us boys, we would have tennis ball fights inside of our house, throwing them as hard as we could at everything. And then we'd see them pulling in and we'd clean up everything, you know. And so whenever they were gone, man, it was, I mean, we didn't do anything horrible, but that was uh, still not good. 
And so the same thing would happen in the church. What, what was going on there? I'll tell you what was going on. Maturity in your children, listen to this, maturity in your children is when you see them do the right thing when you're not there, when you hear about them doing the right thing, right? Mature, when, when you aren't setting an external rule over them, when you're not looking over their shoulder, and if you find out that they do the right thing when you're not there, how many of you guys know they, they've matured, haven't they? Do you realize the same is true as a, for us as believers? Maturity for us as believers is when we do the right thing without an external rule forcing us to do it. When it becomes not an external rule, but an inward desire. So it's not an external rule that, oh, I can't be distracted, so I have to put all these rules around me to not be distracted. It's just simply an inward desire that it's all about Jesus. Instead of being an individual, well, I can't gossip, I can't do this, I can't do that because the Bible says, uh, uh, all of a sudden, instead of that, it becomes an inward desire. I don't want to do those things. I want to follow Jesus. Instead of being swayed by the popular discourse of the day, it, it, all of a sudden, I, I can't listen to those. I can't listen to anything. I can't explain. No, it becomes an inward desire to follow Jesus through all the clutter and all the noise. That's maturity. That's what it looks like. And we have to get to that point. Let's wrap it up. First Corinthians. I know I'm preaching long, but you know, I haven't preached for a couple weeks, so I'll get by with it. Uh, <laughs> and this is my last service of the day. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I want you to let that sit on you for just a second. When you're in the presence of God, there's not a person on the planet that can boast. Because you're in the presence of Almighty God. You have nothing to boast. Boasting is really a, about comparison and who's greater. And if you're in the presence of God, not a person on the planet, we're all equal when it comes to that. We cannot boast before God, no matter what you've done or how good you are. And so it says, uh, no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. When we boast in our way, we lose sight of the Jesus way. And when we lose sight of the Jesus way, the pieces of our life don't fit together anymore. When we lose sight of Jesus way, all of a sudden we can be in a culture and we can have everything we need there's not a person here who, who's, I'm assuming, who's not going to go, who's going to go without a meal today. You're going you're to be fine. You're going to have what you need materially. And in our culture today, we can have access to the best stuff on the planet, the best opportunity, all of these things, and still wonder, why don't the pieces of my life fit together? It's because when we lose sight of the Jesus way, the pieces don't fit. The pieces don't work anymore. This past Wednesday, we had a flashback, a youth camp flashback, and we showed one of the videos from youth camp, and um, one of the pastors, Pastor Clint Sprague, he shared this story, and it, it just really illustrates what I want to talk about to, th th this morning. And he tells a story of this uh, 
young girl and her dad. And the dad was getting ready to go on a, a trip, a business trip. And the girl's all excited. And she says, Daddy, bring me back something from where you're going. You know, the little kids would say, bring me back something. Bring me back something. And so the dad goes off and he goes on his trip and a business trip. And he gets back to the airport. And he realizes as he's getting ready to get on the plane that he forgot to get something for his four-year-old girl. And so like any dad would, he goes in there and he, he looks into the gift shop of the air, airport and he just, he sees a puzzle and he sees the age four to six on the puzzle box and doesn't really look at it. He just grabs it and he overpays for it, but he's got to get something. And so he gets on the plane, he comes home, the wife's there, they greet each other. The kid, the, the little girl's like, dad, where's my gift? Where's my gift? And so he gives her this puzzle and they sit down and they put the puzzle together and, and it was a, an awesome moment that they had. And this became a tradition that they had, that every time he would go on a trip, that he would go and he would buy her a puzzle. And they would come back, and whenever he got home, they would put the puzzle together. And it was, more, it was less about the puzzle, and it was more about the time that they had with each other. And as she grew up, and she got older, and she got in her teenage years, how many of you guys know that the puzzles got bigger? The puzzles got harder. And pretty soon, they would do like a thousand or two thousand piece puzzle, and it would take them some time, but it was a, a beautiful time that they shared together. It was more about the conversation. It was more about the interaction that they had. And, and so this tradition continued even while she went off to college. Then whenever she would come back home, he knew that they were going to have a time over the summer where they would put a puzzle together. And so this one particular summer, uh, she had been on an internship to Europe, and so she was coming back, and so he went online, he ordered some big, huge puzzle, I mean, this massive puzzle. He took a piece of plywood, put it on the, the pool table, because this was going to be thousands and thousands of pieces. It was an old Europe-type thing. It was a massive piece. And so she gets home, and they start working on it, and what do you do with the puzzle? You look at the box, and you're trying to gather up, okay, this is that color, and this kind of looks like that, and they started to work on it, and they go a whole week and they haven't done hardly anything. They can't seem to make sense of it. And so they, they're not doing very well at all. And they get a little bit further into it and they're trying and they're trying and, and it just, it's just too hard. And finally, the, the girl who's now a college student, she, she, she stops for a little bit and she looks and she says, dad, I think we got the wrong picture on the box for the puzzle we're building. And sure enough, they had the wrong picture. And isn't that true of our life, that if we're looking at the wrong picture, the puzzle of our life is a lot harder to put together. And if we're looking at anything other than Jesus, the pieces don't work. The pieces, the colors don't match. It, we'll struggle and we'll try to fit it together. And we'll try to, it, but if we're looking at the wrong picture, it doesn't even matter. That's the whole message this morning. It's all about Jesus. What picture are we looking at when we're trying to put our life together? It's hard to build the life that God wants us to live if we're looking at the wrong picture. Now, if you guys would just close your eyes and bow your heads for just a moment right where you're at. I just want to talk to you. You see, and I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just so you can listen intensely to what I'm saying. You see, Paul said, the message I'm preaching, it may not be popular. It may not make sense. He said, I'm preaching about Jesus being crucified. Jesus, this God, being killed like a common murderer or a terrorist. And that's the God I'm talking about. The God that came to save you, only he was murdered like a terrorist. That's why it wouldn't have made sense to them. You see, the, the ex-military guys would have said, well, that's, that's weak. That's, not, that's like surrender. That's not crushing the enemy. When in fact, by Jesus dying, he was exactly doing exactly that. He was crushing the enemy. He was crushing sin, Satan, death, hell, and the grave. See, God's like that. 
God tells stories that don't always make sense to us. But you see, if, if I were telling the story, and if I were writing the story, I would do it differently. I wouldn't have an innocent man die for guilty people. I wouldn't do it the same way God did it. But you know, if I was telling the story, if I was writing the story, then Sean Phillips probably wouldn't have made the cut for salvation either. And God does it differently. And that's the ultimate twist in the story. And it sounds foolish on the surface, but for those of us who are being saved, it's oh so wonderful that God would come in the flesh and he would die for us. He would take our place, innocent for the guilty, and offer us life. Listen, if you're here in this place this morning and you are not following Jesus, for you it's not all about Jesus. You're on your own road, but you know you need to start following Jesus today. I want you to know he lived a perfect, sinless life. He paid the price for your sin on the cross and he rose from the dead and he offers you life and he simply says, follow me. Some of you guys here need to take that step this morning. Others of you, maybe at one point you were following Jesus, but for whatever reason, you know right now you're not on the Jesus road and you need to come back to the Father's house. We want to pray for you. And I just need to know if we need to take a moment out of this service to do that. If that's you, you say, Pastor Sean, that's me. Please pray for me. I need to start following Jesus. Would you just lift up your hand and put it right back down so we can pray? All right, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Many people. Listen, I'm going to pray. And and I'm not going to have you repeat the words I'm saying. I'm just going to pray a prayer. And I want you to just kind of pray along with it in your own words and and just acknowledge that in your heart and maybe even say some things out of your mouth. And There's nothing magical about this prayer. It's simply trying to put words and confessing what's going on in your heart. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for those who are giving their life to you right now. And they're saying, I surrender. But I thank you that as we surrender our life, that you come and fill our life with you. And right now, we just confess that we've been sinners and we're in need of saving. We've been on the wrong road and we need to get on the right road. That we haven't been following you, but today we want to. We thank you that you died in our place and you took the price of our sin and you put it upon your shoulders and you rose from the dead. And we just confess right now that you are going to be in charge of our life. We, we receive your grace that wipes away all of our sin by faith right now. And we say, I surrender all to you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you guys stand up as we worship the Lord one more time? We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.